I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly Crisis Averted. A look at what's next after lawmakers on Capitol Hill barely avoid a government shutdown. Solemn service. At least 10 people are dead following a roof collapse during Sunday Mass in Mexico. And a universal church. There are 21 new cardinals following a special ceremony at the Vatican. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of Guardian Angels. Our top story tonight, we begin with the unfolding drama from Capitol Hill. A government shutdown has been temporarily averted. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is facing a threat to his leadership, and lawmakers still have a battle on their hands over funding to Ukraine and border security here at home. For more on all of this, let's check in with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales for the very latest. Eric. Good evening, Tracy. Yes, a very wild weekend up here on Capitol Hill. After weeks of trying to pass a continuing resolution with just Republican votes, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy finally opted for a bill to keep the government open until November 17th. But over 90 Republicans opposed the CR, and more than half of the House Democrats voted for it. We passed by overwhelming numbers the ability to keep government open for the next six weeks. So I asked Congress... We'll stay in session the next two weeks, continue to work to get this done. The continuing resolution includes $16 billion in disaster aid, but drops funding to Ukraine. With 90 Republicans voting no, Speaker Kevin McCarthy was unable to unite his party. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says Democrats had been urging passage of a clean CR for weeks. It was a victory for the American people and a complete and total surrender by right-wing extremists. Will the deal cost McCarthy his speakership? I think he is in trouble. Part of that is because there has to be some level of strong leadership in our chamber. I'm just going to be totally blunt. There are a lot of trust issues in my chamber right now. Republican Congressman Matt Gates says he is determined to vote McCarthy out this week, citing promises he broke to conservatives at the start of Congress in January. Since then, he has been in brazen, repeated material breach of that agreement. Uh, this agreement that he made with Democrats uh, to really blow past a lot of the spending guardrails we had set up is a last straw. It would only take a handful of Republicans to remove McCarthy from his post unless Democrats offered a lifeline. The petition requires 218 signatures, half of the House membership. I do not intend on voting for a Republican Speaker of the House, but uh, I believe that it's up to the Republican conference to determine their own leadership and deal with their own problems. But it's not up to Democrats to save Republicans. So the saga continues. We want to let you know about some other news taking place. After the death of Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, California Governor Gavin Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler to the Senate. Now, she's currently the president of EMILY's List. EMILY's List is an organization that fights for pro-abortion rights. She'll be sworn in later this week. And pro-life organizations like Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, they're already speaking out. They said in part, quote, the last thing that Washington needs is another rubber stamp for the brutal abortion industry. 
at the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. And we go now to Matthew Green, professor and director of graduate studies in the Department of Politics at Catholic University of America. Professor Green, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about the continuing resolution. Uh, Speaker McCarthy had to make some concessions to get it passed, uh, upsetting quite a few people, many in his own party. Let's talk more about that and the GOP infighting. What do you think this all signals? Well, there's a lot to say about this, and, uh, and I think the, what, it, what it boils down to is a, it's a kind of battle that we've seen over and over again in the House Republican Party for many years, not just this year, which is that you've got a, a group of conservatives in the conference who feel very strongly about limiting spending uh, and are willing to use um, techniques that usually members don't use against their own leadership to try to get uh, what they want. And uh, with Democrats unwilling to cooperate, that really puts speakers, including Speaker McCarthy, in a bind. Um, and ultimately, he had to face either having a government shutdown uh, or um, compromising on those conservative principles. Uh, and at least for now, uh, with the CR, that's what happened. Yeah. And as we heard, you know, one of McCarthy's main opponents right now is Republican Representative Matt Gates of Florida, who wants to oust him. Uh, that said, Gates is facing some scrutiny of his own. What more do you know about this, Professor, and where do you think all this will go? Well, there have been uh, allegations of uh, impropriety um, by Gates and some, I think, there some investigations, uh, federal investigations at one point. And apparently uh, it's come out that the Ethics Committee in the House has also been looking into this. Um, it's not clear where that's going to go at this point. I will say that um, doing what Gates is trying to do, not only is it very difficult, um, but it can really rub members the wrong way um, because from them, they have a leader. They've elected a speaker. Um, he may not be perfect, but to have someone stand up in your party and say, we have to get rid of them right in the middle of a Congress really distracts members from things that they want to do, uh, can take away from the party's message. Um, so I don't know what Gates's, uh endgame is here, but um, he does seem serious in trying to remove Speaker McCarthy. Yeah, and going back to the CR, uh, funding for Ukraine was a big bone of contention uh, in the deal. I want to get your thoughts on that. And do you think this points to a shift in support of Ukraine and possibly a policy shift? Well, we've had majorities of both parties in both chambers vote previously to provide military assistance to Ukraine. So I don't see this as a major policy shift. What I think this was was a tactical move on McCarthy's part and on the Republican leadership's part in the House, where they said, look, we've got we've to have something come to the floor that gets a majority of Republican votes, maybe not all Republicans, but a majority. And we don't want to give up everything that um, some members of our party care about, like, um, like funding for Ukraine, or at least those who do not wish to continue funding uh, or providing military assistance to Ukraine. So the CR excludes that funding, but that's only 45 days. And again, that's not a sign, I think, of a major policy shift so much as it was uh, a decision that this is what we needed to do in order to get the CR over the finish line. So it buys us some breathing room to try to pass more appropriations bills. Yeah. And of course, this is really just a stopgap measure. Um, that said, curious, who do you think were the winners and losers in all of this? <laughs> well, it's a little hard to say because we, we have this potential uh, motion, uh, uh, resolution to remove uh, the speaker, which uh, if it passes, then McCarthy would be the loser. Um, I mean, I think at this point, um, it's hard to say who a winner or a loser is. I think uh, both sides, as you heard earlier in the report, um, are sort of claiming that they're the winners and the other side is the losers. And that's fairly common on Capitol Hill. I would say that for now, we've sort of um, kick the can down the road a little bit. So at least we don't have a government shutdown, which I think most people would agree 
uh, would be very damaging, uh, certainly to uh, to Americans who rely on government uh, government programs and, and support from the government, uh, and probably also hurt uh, House Republicans. Um, but you know, we'll find out in about forty three days or so whether or not uh, Republicans in the House can pass the rest of the appropriations bills they need to pass to keep the government open um, with the priorities that they care about, and then see what ends up becoming law. All right, we're going to leave it right there, Professor Green. Thank you so much for weighing in. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Our President Joe Biden is lashing out at lawmakers after they dropped assistance for Ukraine in their short-term funding package. The president says support for Ukraine cannot be interrupted and is reassuring allies of continued U.S. funding for the war effort. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. So in. Tracy, President Joe Biden posted on X, formerly known as Quitter, quote, I expect a speaker to keep his word and secure the passage of support for Ukraine at this critical moment. In Ukraine, firefighters battling flames after a recent Russian drone attack damaged a warehouse and charred dozens of trucks, injuring two drivers. And as the war drags on, President Joe Biden with this plea to lawmakers to approve more aid. Let's vote on it. And I want to assure our American allies and the American people and the people of Ukraine that you can count on our support. We will not walk away. And in the White House press briefing room today, more questions on more money for Ukraine. We're going to continue to advance our national security priorities because by helping Ukraine, we are also also uh, protecting and, and uh, delivering for the American people and our national security. So that's important as well. Meanwhile, in New York, arriving for trial, former President Donald Trump, who is also the current Republican frontrunner for the White House. Trump denouncing the civil fraud case over his business practices as a politically motivated scam. The lawsuit could cost him control of Trump Tower and other prized properties. This trial could have been brought years ago, but they waited till I was right in the middle of my campaign. The same with other trials and indictments. It's all run by DOJ, which is corrupt in Washington. And today on the White House South Lawn, President Biden discusses the Americans with Disabilities Act that became law 33 years ago this past summer, telling the audience during Disability Awareness Month, Disabled Americans are still three times less likely to have a job. And they're often earned less for the exact work someone else is doing is not disabled. Too often, disabled Americans are unable to vote, to get to and from work and school, to enjoy public spaces. Also on the president's schedule today, a meeting with his cabinet to discuss what the White House calls balancing the promise and peril of artificial intelligence. In fact, just recently we learned that the National Security Agency is starting an artificial intelligence security center as the U.S. beefs up its defenses against Russia and China. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, the Supreme Court opens its new term today. The justices are expected to consider a number of cases on social media use. A major gun case is set to be argued next month. There is also a chance the nation's highest court will weigh in on availability for the widely used abortion drug mifepristone. The justices took the bench today for the first time since June. A sad news tonight. Out of Mexico, at least 10 people are dead following the collapse of a church roof during Sunday Mass. The parishioners were receiving Holy Communion when the tragedy happened. Around 60 people were injured. The Mexican Council of Bishops released a statement saying in part, quote, we join in prayer at the tragic loss of life and for those injured. Among the dead were a four-month-old baby, three five-year-olds, and a pair 
of nine-year-olds. Our Christian leaders in Iraq are calling for a full investigation into last week's deadly wedding fire. The faithful are speaking out against recent government findings that appear to blame negligence. A Syriac Catholic priest says one culprit is widespread corruption among local officials. More than 100 people were killed after a fireworks machine burst into flames during the Catholic wedding service. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including one apostolic church. Pope Francis welcomes 21 new cardinals to the Vatican. And Pope Francis reminds the faithful why there is always room for hope. A group of five cardinals sent a list of questions to Pope Francis expressing concern and seeking clarification on points of doctrine ahead of the opening of the Synod on Synodality later this week. The formal questions, known as dubia, are brought before the Holy Father or a Vatican dicastery. Tomorrow on EWTN News Nightly, we will break down those questions and what it may mean for the Catholic Church going forward. The Holy Father also welcomed 21 new cardinals from all over the world. They were created during consistory over the weekend at the Vatican. In his homily, Pope Francis reflected on unity and diversity in the church. EWTN News Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has more. A very good evening, Tracy. Saturday was a very busy day here at the Vatican as Pope Francis created 21 cardinals from 15 different countries. This was Francis's ninth time creating new cardinals in the past 10 years, bringing to a total 142 the number of cardinals he has created from 66 countries. It also means that Pope Francis has personally picked now three quarters of the cardinal electors. They are the cardinals who can vote for the next pope, increasing the likelihood that a future pope would be one who shares Pope Francis's vision for the church. The event was held outdoors in St. Peter's Square, right in front of the Basilica, where the often called Princes of the Church processed up one by one to Pope Francis to receive their red hat or beretta, the ecclesiastical ring as well. The scarlet colour, by the way, of the hat is meant to signify blood, that these new cardinals should be willing to give up their life for the faith. Pope Francis has continued his tradition of creating cardinals from places not traditionally known to have them, for example, South Sudan, and then appointments from key geographical areas like Hong Kong and Jerusalem. Diversity is necessary, the Pope said. Some abuse survivor groups strongly objected to the appointment of one of the new cardinals, the Argentinian Victor Manuel Fernandez, who raised many eyebrows for his reported handling of sexual abuse cases when he was Archbishop of La Plata in Argentina. He was made the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith already by Pope Francis. It's one of the Vatican's most powerful departments. Also on Saturday afternoon, the Pope took part in a two-hour ecumenical meeting to pray together ahead of the Synod on Synodality. The event was entitled Together Gathering of God's People. It was attended by distinguished guests such as the Orthodox Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew of Constantinople, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, the head of the Anglican Communion. And Tracy, this was a rare occasion when you had Rome, Constantinople and Canterbury all here together in St. Peter's Square at the same time. Speaking to the thousands of young people, the Pope said that silence was essential in our lives. He said, in a world full of noise, we are long, no longer accustomed to silence. Indeed, we sometimes struggle with it because silence forces us to face ourselves and to face God. In un filo sonoro de silencio, 
in un filo sonoro di silenzio. Pope Francis went on to say that silence was essential in the life of a believer. Finally, Tracy, the Synod on Synodality, that starts this week here at the Vatican. The participants are still involved in their pre-Synod retreat outside of Rome, and we'll have a report on the opening Mass this Wednesday here on EWTN. In Rome, Colin Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, message of hope. Pope Francis explains the importance of turning away from sin. Plus, a movie that highlights Eucharistic miracles from around the world. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. On a movie created by Hollywood directors and artists takes a deep dive into the beauty of Holy Communion and true presence. The new manna also illustrates the power of Eucharistic miracles, as well as featured interviews from witnesses, medical doctors, and Catholic leaders like Dr. Scott Hahn and Antonia Okudis, the mother of Blessed Carlo Okudis. And joining us now is Antonia Okudis and Angelo Lebuti, director of the upcoming film, The New Manna. Thank you both so much for joining us today. It is an honor. Angelo, I want to start with you. If you don't mind, please tell us a little bit more about the movie and what inspired you to produce it. Absolutely. I mean, the, we started everything, I think, pretty much during the period of the COVID when we were absent for the possibility to having the, the Eucharist as often as I was used to. You able to go every day mass and go to adoration every day. Most of the times I was going to for night time from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the morning when my work schedule was really hard. So that was uh, the, the, the start, the beginning for it. And uh, the love and passion I had for the Eucharist was instilled for me from my godfather was a... Uh, Father Pio, personal assistant for 25 years, I thought, I mean, I had to do something about it. I mean, and uh, I had, uh, I, I started to see some problems uh, with my industry for this type of script I was receiving, uh, as well uh, for uh, some attacks I had uh, when I started to prof uh, proclaim my faith. So I thought, okay, somebody have to do it. And uh, I, visualizing, I visualized the fact, I mean, uh, what was needed. Uh, I never seen something before in, in, my, in my life from Hollywood, uh, Hollywood quality, so, which is uh, like a representing uh, every Bible passage that covers the Eucharist. If you look, for example, like, there's no any movie ever done that covered those Bible passages. And I think I thought, I mean, okay, this sounds suspicious. So somebody have to do it, and uh, the Eucharist is a core. And there are so many visuals I had right away uh, for how to representing the the transubstantiation, uh, how to represent in, uh, every kind of medical things that uh, for some people was extremely hard. And uh, but I, that's my job is to visualize in things that nobody else is able to. And I, I think I've been proved with all these years in Marvel, Disney, DreamWorks, Paramount, uh, Recently Fox, Warner Brothers. So I kind of thought, uh, let's do it. Let's do the jump. I asked permission to my wife because we knew we're going to go through some difficulty because obviously some, the guy downstairs probably wouldn't like it. Yeah. So here you go. Now I am here. Well, we're all excited about it. And, and Antonia, I want to talk to you next. Um, your son, Blessed Carlo, uh, he kept a website detailing Eucharistic miracles. Can you talk to us about that and how he became so interested in the topic? But he started to teach catechism when he was uh, 11 years old. And he realized that uh, 
there, is, there was a problem. He used to say there are queues in front of a concert, in front of a football match, but I don't see these queues in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, Carlo was, uh, uh, since he was seven years old, he started to go to Mass each day, to do Eucharistic adoration each day. And so for him, the Eucharist was the center of his life. And uh, he had this uh, sort of vision, vision, let's say, idea huh? and intuition that through this Eucharistic miracle that happened uh, throughout the centuries and uh, that were recognized from the church, it was possible to help people to understand that in the Blessed Sacrament there is really the real presence of God. And uh, recently, we had uh, many Eucharistic miracles that were recognized from the church, from the scientific community, and all these uh, uh, miracles are uh, uh, the host that became flesh that is a part of uh, the miracle. Jesus showed us his love, you know, his sense, because he is love. We know that uh, God is love. And so it's so, uh, so touching, this. And there are so many signs. And I think... Uh, that God sometimes, in his mercy, to help our faith that is very weak, help us with his sign. And this film of Angelo, in my opinion, really is uh, uh, so powerful. And it can, it can help so much people to understand the real presence of God in the Blessed Sacrament. That is the most important thing, because only Jesus can uh, transfigure and heal our soul and uh, really help us in the path to uh, Holy Sainthood to our, our, our uh, motherland, which is heaven. And really, we have the bread of life with us. He promised, I will be with you till the end of the, way, of, the, of, the, of the world, and he is with us always. And the Eucharist is really the highway to heaven. Yes, it is. Um, we're almost out of time, unfortunately. So much we could talk about. But Angelo, um, I want to ask you this. What do you hope people take away from the movie? And also, when do you think we can expect it to be released? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, the, the whole goal is to be able to provide about visual and an understanding for the perfectly Catholic Church what to teach. So there's so many misconceptions, even with our broader Protestant, for what we do believe regarding the Eucharist. And with this one, for sure, we're going to clarify everything perfectly. I mean, everything was done with the Dwey Raymond Bible, with the Catena Aurea for St. Thomas Aquinas, all perfectly fooled with so many theologians' help, so to be perfectly clear. And so this way, everything, all the problems that we have with people, at least we know we're going to be able to put on the table and clarifies perfectly what they are. It's a, it's a, it's a story about a non-believer that uh, moved on the journey to try to disprove in the Eucharist and then end up to finally to believe. I mean, so he's going to do the same steps a normal non-believer to do it. The, for, the, for the final thing, so we really hope to finish for uh, June uh, for 2024 because it's going to be the, the big, a really big event of... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, for the for the revival, uh, so we we hope. I mean, I think as soon as we hit our target, uh, a minimum one million dollar for, for 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 the final part uh, for the post production part of it, uh, then uh, we are going to be able to go full 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 production. Yeah, and finish within uh, three to six months maximum.
Okay, well, we're going to be praying for that. Antonio and Angelo, thank you so much for coming on. God bless you both, and, and God bless you on this movie. Thank you for doing it. Yeah, God bless you, show too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you can learn more about Antonio Kudis next week when Monty Alvarado interviews her on EWTN News in depth. And finally tonight, Pope Francis reminds the faithful that for sinners, there is always hope for redemption. And these hypocrites, tanto male fanno. And his Sunday address at the Vatican, the Holy Father encouraged the faithful to be sincere before God about our difficulties and our weaknesses. He also said that we should ask ourselves every day if we are doing the will of our Father or are we more focused on appearing to be good and righteous. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.